Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Sipping on some murder. Bloody happy hours. Happy New Year! Hey, everybody. Here we are. Happy New Year. This is April. This is Caroline. And we are back in 2022 for another year of bloodiness. What's your resolution? Do you have any New Year's resolution? Do you do that? Do you do resolutions? Mm-mm. Do you say you're going to do something? basically lying to yourself. Oh, I know. Yeah, <laughs> I totally agree. I don't know the last time I've had a New Year's resolution. It's about the last time I had a flu shot, which I can't remember. So, Well, I've kind of been thinking like maybe a word, you know, like we used to do with CG. We would have like our word for the year. And when we were there, I would kind of use that as my word, oh, right? Yeah, like rise or... yeah. Shine proud. Limit, limitless. Limitless. Bold. Yeah. Hustle. Hustle. So I've been kind of thinking of a word, but I don't. Yeah. We're actually recording this before the new year. Yeah. So <clears throat> I have a couple days if I want to get a word to get my word down. Well, I don't have any resolutions yet. I don't think I will. Um, my goal is to just... Um, do you in 2022? Yes. Do you in 2022? <laughs> that's what I'm... That's exactly what I'm going to do. That... Let's just do... Just us. do you, boo. Yeah. Do it, it. Do it. Do it. Um, okay, bloodies. I am 1,000% happy to oh. tell you guys the story for today i'm not gonna tell you uh, yet y'all i'm so excited for january's theme monthly theme monthly theme right that's what we call it yeah our category it's a category yeah, yeah, for the our, month yeah month yeah theme. yeah it is waco town murders so waco people your mouths should be watering because we are talking about your neighborhood, right? Our neighborhood. Literally. And people that are not in Waco, you guys are going to learn about at least two amazing stories Did that you? Waco's infamous for. Yeah. Let me tell you a little bit about Waco. Not like Waco back then, like <laughs> when the Waco Indians were here. We don't want to talk about that. You don't talk about the Indians? <laughs> We're going to talk about how they got ran off. And how no, they're hanging people over. in the streets. Oh. Yeah. We're how about the Waco t- tornado? You want to talk about that? Yeah, not really. I mean, oh, okay. but we did have a big tornado. Let's talk about <laughs> right now. We're going to sell our town really quick. Okay. Um, so 2022, Waco, Texas. We, if you're not familiar with Texas, we're in between Dallas and Austin. So 
an hour and a half south, you hit Austin, big city, right? Hour and a half north, you hit Dallas, big city. And if you go three hours another way, I don't know if that's east or west, you hit Houston. So real close, real, real close to the biggest major cities in um, Texas. But we're not really a big city. Like we're growing, but people come here because they don't want that big, big city feel, but they want to have some things like, you know, one level top golf or something, right? <laughs> I'm still a little better, bitter about one level top golf. I didn't even know that existed. But in Waco, <laughs> we anything got will exist. Anything, we anything. You give us your trash, we'll take it. We're the test market. <laughs> so um, we have three colleges here. We have Texas State Technical College. We say that TSTC, and it's actually the best, one of the best technical colleges in the nation. Oh. Yeah, people come from all over to go to TSTC. Wow. We have McLennan Community College. We call that MCC. Great community college. They're known for their arts, and they have every sport and all their their sports. sports like the base. Yeah, they're really good there. Um, and then, of course, BU, Baylor University, Big 12 Championship basketball this year and football. So mm -hmm. big deal. And they're like the biggest Baptist university, university in the world. In the world. If you're Baptist, come here. If you're not, you can't. Even if you're gay, guess what? Equal opportunity institution. Yeah. Maybe don't be a preacher because. Yeah, don't be a preacher. Matt Baker came. Mm, Matt Baker ruined it for everybody. Went there. Um, so. Right now, here's why you would want to come here. We're one of the top 10 places to travel to. I don't understand, but go ahead. At one point, we were number two. <laughs> Once again, <laughs> people come here and they are like so disappointed. They're like, oh, no, they love it. They walk. I, I've passed people there. Like, I don't know. I guess it's 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 it has really our downtown has really evolved. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know half the places I actually that are probably down here now. I don't think young people come here to like party like you go no, to I don't Dallas think it's or Austin. Well, I don't but think it's, it's more young people. I think it's older people who are, are obsessed coming. with fixer up or like your yeah. husband. Yeah. If he lived, if he Somewhere lived else. states away, you I guarantee he would be traveling to Waco. Do you know what? Like we follow another. We watch Fixer to Fabulous and they're out of fuck, Arkansas. And he wants to go to Arkansas see? just to go see some of the houses. That, Isn't that crazy? Yes, so that's what they do here. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, so we used to be known like anytime I would go somewhere out of the States and they would oh. tell us. You know, they would ask where I'm from. We used to be known for David Koresh and the Branch Davidians. Stay tuned for the episode next month. Mm. But now we're known for Chip and Joanna Gaines. They have the show Fixer Upper. They have the Magnolia Silos, and that empire is just growing. So most of our people traveling here are traveling for our, that type of, for that. To look at the houses, to stay in those Airbnbs, and to go to those shops. Um, I'm going to tell you about some stuff that you can travel to, and you now you got some murder sites to come and visit. Yes. So we also have one of the most beautiful parks in the world called Cameron Park. Can, uh, Carolina sleep on Cameron Park. I um, I was just about to say I he I heard. <laughs> Oh, it, you can actually go listen to another podcast on our network. Yeah. What is it called? Waco in the Know? No Waco. No, no Waco. K-N-O-W. No Waco. Waco. And yeah. we have an episode on there. We're real professional. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> if you want to go know more about Waco, too. But that's where I learned that Cameron Park was so uh, 
legit. Legit. Yeah. So No Waco is a podcast, and they tell you all. So they kind of highlight all the different things going on in Waco or different people. So if you plan on coming, tune in to No Waco. Um, but Cameron Park's known for the scenery on the Brazos River, and they have the amazing hike and bike running trails. And then the best beast of a workout is Jacob's Ladder. Oh. So if you're a worker outer and you come, you have to hit up Jacob's Ladder because what well, it's like 88 steps I've counted one time, but these are humongous steps, and they go basically straight up. Yes, <coughs> very it's very like high. You're climbing mountain. Yeah, like ever. I don't know. I've never climbed a mountain, but yeah. Um, so we're religi- we're we're real reli- legit. Yeah. Can I get it out? No. Can I get it out? No. Um, but I'm gonna tell you about the Lake Waco murders. <gasps> Did somebody drown in the lake? No. No. I mean, every year, but that's not what this was. Yeah. So I had two main sources for this episode. I have the book Careless Whispers by Carlton Stowers. And I have an amazing Texas Monthly article called Murders at the Lake. And that is. I know. But like Texas subscribe to Texas Monthly. I, I, I must because I get their emails. Because I, that's, it's literally, I have my, like, I'm like, my sources for today are Texas Monthly and this book. Yeah. Yeah. That's all you need. Texas Monthly is legit. If you want to know about tech, any Texas murders, I'm sure Texas Monthly has done something on them. Um, and they sum up the book perfectly. So, and with extra information. So let me start this. Okay. So it is afternoon of July 14th, 1982. Two fishermen are fishing for crappie along the Lake Waco. Crappie? Crappie. 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 Okay. I wrote it crappie. Okay, it's fine. I don't know. We call <laughs> I think it is crappie. I think it is, but I don't know why I know that. But we said crappie. Anyways, I'm going to not interrupt you. In crappie slosh crappie. And, but they were like getting any bite. So they decided to like pack up their stuff and they were going to go to another part of the lake, which we have to cross these twin bridges, and it's kind of across town called Spiegelville Park. The last time they were there, they hit the crappie jackpot, right? So they get up, and they go, and they drive, and they're there, and they drive down this secluded, dirty road, and right as they park, they see what they thought was a mannequin propped up against a tree with sunglasses on. It's never a mannequin, mannequin. (laughs) y'all. Never. <laughs> Never a mannequin. And they, but it had glasses on and like this bandana on. And so they thought, oh, is somebody playing a trick? Until they looked deeper and they saw stab wounds and this mannequin was soaking blood. So they know it's not a mannequin. And they saw that it was a teenage boy. So they immediately hopped back in their vehicle and they drove to go get park security. And this is a guy named Gary Thorpe. Hello, Gary, if you're still in Waco. He called the sheriff's department, and um, longtime police officer Truman Simons hears it over the um, scanner, mm-hmm. and he's driving to Waterburger to go get some dinner. So he decides he's going to come out to Spiegelville Park and see what this body is, right? <clears throat> so he gets there, and slowly the other, like the sheriff's department, everybody's getting there. On the tree, he sees a teenage boy. And he had on his blue jeans. He had on some an orange shirt, some aviator glasses, and a bandana on his head. 
and he still had his pack of cigarettes folded up in the sleeve of his shirt. I remember like that's what they did back then. My dad yeah. used to roll up his cigarettes in his sleeve. He had multiple stab wounds to his body and he was bound and gagged and soaked in blood. So Truman was like, <clears throat> you know, there was a missing persons report for an 18-year-old boy named Kenneth Franks. So he remembered that the report also stated that there were he was last seen with two young ladies named Raylene Rice and Jill Montgomery. So Truman took charge. Like he was like, y'all spread out. There could be other bodies. So about 25 yards from Kenneth, in like some high tall grass, there was a body of a young blonde haired woman. Mm -hmm. She was naked, except for there was a bra wrapped around her legs. She was stabbed multiple times. She was bound and gagged as well. Then another body was found. This was a young female with dark hair. She had multiple stab wounds. She was naked, bound, and gagged, but her throat was slashed, and one of her nipples was sliced <gasps> off, like cut off. Um, they soon realized that they had found all of the kids from the missing persons report. Kenneth was stabbed 20 times. Raylene was stabbed nine times. And Jill was stabbed 17 times. They were all tortured. Not every one of the stab wounds were deep. Like a lot of them were in the chest cavity. So you know they're trying to kill. But some of them were just like shallow. Like they were just pricking them and like torturing them like trying to make their them them die slowly basically so yeah Yeah. inflict pain so truman was like this is personal but this is also sadistic and so they all left there that night thinking there's a crazy person in waco texas so truman the investigator he was, he's already trying to think through it. He's like, who would do this? <clears throat> Why? And for some reason, he worked on his gut a whole lot. Like, he would get these feelings and these hunches, and then he would um, investigate towards these feelings, like these hunches that he would get. So he walked up to Jill's body, and he crouched down by her, and he felt like this murder was a, more about her. Like, my, she might have been the target Plus, she was kind of mutilated the most, so mm. she thought they thought maybe it was kind of about her. He crouched down to the body, and he said, told her, <clears throat> his quote was, I don't know what happened to you, but I promise the person who did this will pay. They won't just go to jail. They will pay. This will not just be another unsolved murder in Waco, Texas. And in 1982, mind you, there had been a ton of murders. There had been, it's July, there had been like 25 murders. Half of them were unsolved. Like, they had, people had just gotten away with murder a lot that year. And so Truman was like, this is not going to be one of those cases. He called the funeral home. They came to get the body, to retrieve the body, and Truman made sure to tell them that all the kids had names and that they knew the identities. And I that he didn't he said he didn't want him them to treat them like a Jane Doe or John Doe. And I guess they do more cuts and things on Jane Doe's and John Doe's to try to find out who they are. So he was just like, just do the regular autopsy. Let us know how he died. 
And then he hopped in his truck and he left. And his prayer on his way home was, I don't know anything about those kids we found out there tonight, Lord. Maybe we, they were good kids. Maybe they had some problems. But they did not deserve what happened to them. I pray you have welcomed them into your kingdom and have given them peace. Lord, it wasn't right for them to be left out there dead and exposed. I pray you'll help us find the people who did this. Then he went home to his own family. So I have to tell you about these teenagers, and I'm going to start with Kenneth Franks. Kenneth was born in Tyler, Texas. He had a tough time in school due to being dyslexic. And he was put in special education because of it. And then he hated school because he still struggled, like he couldn't pass. So then he rebelled at school, and he rebelled at home, and he was just kind of mad and frustrated. He wanted to be an athlete, but he couldn't because he was never eligible. And then to add to it, his parents got a divorce, and um, this made things even worse. So his dad left and moved to Waco. His mom is staying in Tyler. He's blaming his mom for the divorce, so he's acting out even more. And mom's finally just like, I can't handle this anymore. We need to find somewhere for him to go. So he ends up in Waco, Texas at our Methodist Children's Home. Do you know where that is, Caroline, mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. there on Herring? So I didn't know that this is, it's like a, it's not a franchise, but there's a bunch of these all over the country. And it started off to be like an orphanage. Nice. And now it's, or back then it was like for troubled kids. If they got in trouble, troubled youth, or if they were not doing good in school, you sent your kids there. You could visit them on the weekends or they can get passes to come home. But they live there almost like a boarding school type mm -hmm. thing. A little bit more structured, but probably not as structured as boarding school. And back then they sent kids to Waco ISD school. So he was going to Waco High. He was living at the Methodist home. And it started off a little rough, but he ended up liking it and he made friends. So this was a positive thing in his life. And he found a girlfriend and he had his motorcycle there and he would visit his dad on the weekend. So him and his dad mended their relationship and they became really close. Dad lived on off Lakeshore Drive, like right down the road. And when he got older, his dad decided to tell him the truth behind the divorce because it was actually dad's fault and not mom. Dad admitted that he um, could not be faithful to his wife. He worked out of town and there were so many temptations and he had multiple upon multiple upon multiple affairs, like so many that he couldn't count. Why did he need to tell us to his kid anyway? Well, I don't, I'm, this is the truth, but he was telling his kid that I'm, I'm the one that messed mm. it up. Mm -hmm. You need to forgive your mom. So he called his mom they cried on the phone. He apologized. And their relationship was mended. And mm. I say that because it gives me a little bit of, makes me feel good that when he died, he was on good terms with both of his parents. Mm. <coughs> so his girlfriend's name was Jill Montgomery, which was the other girl that was there. Okay. They were official. Like back then they called it going steady. Did you hear your parents talking about that sometimes? So they're basically going no. steady mm -hmm. means like okay. sometimes you gave a you're ring talking. and made it official. Oh. No, talking is just talking. Going steady means you're dating and you don't date anybody else. Oh. Yeah, that means you're on lock. Oh. 
I've never been steady. <laughs> never been. <laughs> never, Caroline's never gone steady. No. Nope, so he was in love. And then he turned 18 and he was allowed to leave the Methodist home. So he just moved in with his dad. So Jill Montgomery, she was born in Waxahachie. All right. She too was dyslexic. She had a speech impairment. I just lost my place. Oh, there it is. She had a speech impairment. Um, she was very shy and quiet because of her speech impairment. And then she used to skip school a lot because she just didn't want to be there because it wasn't easy for her. Um, her parents got a divorce. She, too, blamed her mom. And she kind of went back and forth to mom and dad <coughs> for a little bit because she just didn't have like she didn't feel like she had a home so she's trying to find like mm-hmm. her place right these people don't have any siblings um yeah oh. well i don't i don't know if kenneth does but jill has a brother mm. so he she left her mom to go live with her dad and that didn't work out she was going back to her mom and mom was like you know what i think we need to look into something else so that's how she ends up in the methodist home but she's excited, and she's, like, adventurous. So she's like, oh, this is a new adventure. I don't have to be under my mom and my dad. I got my own place, and I'm going to make new friends. And it started off rough, but it ended up being really good. And she had a best friend named Gail Kelly, and she met Kenneth Franks. And she was working at the Texas Ranger Museum, and she was loving it. So she spent the whole year there. And that summer she came home and went to Six Flags with her family for the weekend. And then something changed. She had a knife in her purse. And when her mm-hmm. aunt saw the knife and asked her why she had it, she said that she needed it for protection. And so, but she wouldn't elaborate, like, protection from what. And then she was questioning her relationship with Kenneth. She asked her mom, what if you love somebody who's not good for you? What do you do? And the mom was like, you go with your heart, but you use your head. And the mom till this day doesn't know why she was questioning Kenneth relationship. So that's kind of still like a question. And don't go with your heart. Go with your head. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that is, I don't know about that. Been I don't there, know about that. that. Go with your work. head. Don't just hide your heart. Yeah, just <laughs> Don't ever Listen, use it. Don't ever use that heart. <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work it, properly. It, yeah, it doesn't know any different. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. It'll get you into some trouble. Mm. Um. So they decided she didn't want to. Okay, so she also decided she didn't want to go back to the Methodist home. So she wouldn't. When she came into town, she would hang out with her friend Raylene from Waxahachie High School. And Raylene was going to take her to the bus station so she can come back to Waco to go home. But instead, Raylene brought her back home, and she told her mom, I don't want to go back. I want to be here. I want to go to my senior year at Waxahachie High School. And mom was shocked because she had loved it so much, right? Yeah. But And then Jill was adamant. She was like, I don't want to go back. She was in tears. Like, I'm tired of being tossed around. I want to be home. It'll be good. And they saw her mature. And so mom called dad over, and they all agreed that she didn't have to go back. So mom called Methodist home and was like, she's not coming back. She's going to stay here. That next day was July 13th, 1982, okay? She had to go to Waco to get her stuff 
and to pick up her last check and cash it. She's kind of like closing all her chapters in Waco so she can come and start her life in Waxahachie. So she called her brother, and she was like, brother, can you drive me to Waco? And he had something to do, and he couldn't take it. Couldn't take her. So he call, she called Ray Lynn, and Ray Lynn was down. So Ray Lynn was like, oh, I'll drive. Just give me gas. So they drove Ray Lynn's orange Pinto to Waco, July 13th. They went, they went to the museum, and they picked up, her check. picked up her check. They cashed it. They made a stop at a store, and then they called Kenneth Franks. And they were like, "Let's. Do you want to go to Caney Park? You f- do you know where Caney Park no. is? No, I knew you would know where <laughs> none of these places were. Caney Park is when Lakeshore turns into um, Valley Mills, and then there's the lake, mm-hmm. and you. It's a boat ramp, so you pull in there. There's access to the lake. There's boat ramps there. There's like some picnic tables right here. That's where we always launch the boat. Oh, it's right there. I yeah, I've been out there. Um, so. We, uh, that's where they were going. Back then, kids would hang out there. They would smoke weed. They would drink. They would swim. They'd watch the sun go down. So that's where they were going. They were all three going to meet up, and Jill was going to be able to hang out with her boyfriend, but then also kind of tell her that she's not coming back to Waco. Tell him that he's not coming back to Waco. So Kenneth goes. And her dad, him and his her his dad is just like, be home by midnight because you have school. They leave, and they were not seen until their bodies were found. Mm-hmm. That was the last time Kenneth Frank saw his son is when they pulled off in that um, Pinto. Raylene is from Oxahatchee. She was also 17 years old, um, and she was longtime friends with Jill. Raylene was never in the Methodist home. She had no ties to Waco. She was, she just, was just driving. Riding. Yeah, she driving. She was just driving her, her friend, friend to help yeah. her pick up a paycheck. They were going to pick it up, hang out for a minute, <laughs> and then go back home and then start their senior year. So... I mean, it's like, this is, yeah, so interesting. Yeah. So now it's, so I kind of explained Caney Park to you. Um, so when Kenneth and the girls left, Richard's, Frank's, Kenneth's dad's at home by herself. They were going to watch a movie together, but he decided since Kenneth's going out, I'm going to go out. And he went for a drive, and he drove to the other part of the lake, Midway Park. And so that's on the other side Mm -hmm. of where the kids are at Caney Park. And he said he stayed there and watched the boats go by and watched the sun go down, and that was like his escape. And he didn't get home until after midnight. And when he got home, he noticed Kenneth was not at home. So he was like, oh, hell, he's going to do this again, you know, staying out past curfew. By 1 a.m., he went to bed, and he was like, Kenneth will be home soon. He woke up at 2.30. Kenneth was not home. And he was just out there. He was just, like, he he'd passed by Caney Park yeah. twice because it's a mile from where Kenneth lives. Kenneth lived in the Savannah Square Apartments. It's on um, Lake Shore. So you pass those, you go to Caney. Well, he passed up and then had to go get on the twin bridges to go to Midway oh my gosh. Park. <coughs> so two thirty, still not there. So now he's mad, but then worried. 
And by 4 a.m., nothing from Kenneth. He had never stayed out this late. He was like, I need to go and check. So he drives his car to Caney Park, and he sees the orange Pinto parked, but nobody's in it. And he drives around, and he's like, who would they have gotten in the car with? So he comes, and he comes back, and he checked. No, then he decides to go to Midway Park where he was earlier. He was like, maybe they went to another part of the lake. So he goes to Midway Park, and he sees an abandoned car that was broken into. Like, it, the windows were broken out. Oh, so wow. he has a CB radio, and he calls on the CB radio, and he tells them to call 911. The police come, and he tells the police I was here earlier, this car wasn't here, but now it is and it looks like it's been broken into, but I'm looking for my son and his friends. Here's their descriptions. And the cop was just like, well, you know, you can um, actually, I'll look, if I see them, I'll tell them to come home or I'll call you, but we'll make a report on this car. So Kenneth drives back home and he, no, now he's going to friends, not Kenneth, Kenneth's dad. He's going to Kenneth's friend's house and knocking on the door. It's like 6 in the morning. And he's like, um, is Kenneth here? Is Kenneth here? Is Kenneth here? Is Kenneth here? Have y'all seen Kenneth? Nobody saw him. But the car is still out, out there at Caney Park. The Pinto's still at Caney Park. And the police are at Midway Park, and they never went to Caney Park? No. He just told them. He's pa- he's scared, <clears throat> but he's not panicking yet. He's just like, I'm looking for my kid. They were supposed to be at Caney Park. And I thought maybe they got in a car with somebody else and came to another part of the lake is what he's thinking right now. Maybe he did it. <gasps> and now a word from our sponsors. Let's keep going. <laughs> did it so um his story does not it's weird it's it's real I've read fish. yeah who just goes to the lake and just sits there for hours from 8 30 to 12 30 and you lost track of time and then you called the cops and then just made them focus barely on that one. mentioned yeah. yeah yeah i mean it definitely raised eyebrows when i was rereading it because let me go real quick the bodies when the fishermen found the bodies where were they Beagleville Park. Oh. So oh. on the other. So they so weren't go even down in Caney Park. They were in a whole yeah. different one. Yeah. Found them in Spiegelville Park. And according to Richard Franks's day, he didn't go as far as Spiegelville Park. He just went to Midway Park, which is before um, Spiegelville Park, to your listeners that haven't been to Lake Waco. Okay, so now he's, like, going to houses, right, and he can't find them. So he's like, well, let me call Jill and Raylene's parents. But he don't have information. So he goes back to the Orange Pinto, and he's digging because it's unlocked. And he notices that the front seat is, like, the driver's seat is forward, right? Mm -hmm. But you have to do that to To get in the back seat because it's two-door door. So that didn't seem weird. He finds information for Raymond Rice, and that's Raylene's dad. So he has an address. But before he leaves, he notices Kenneth's keys are stuck in the headrest in the back seat. Hmm. Like he recognizes the leather chain mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that's on the keychain. And he's like, that's weird. 
And then his gut falls because he remembers telling Kenneth that if you ever get yourself in a dangerous situation, hide your keys. <laughs> what? <laughs> I can't, like, I don't understand. Hide your keys. Hide your keys. So maybe if I find your car or your motorcycle and your keys yeah. are not where they're supposed let to be. Somebody's got to put a gun to my head. Let me, hang on, <laughs> Mr. Murder. Let me let go me get my em. keys so I can hide them because that's going to be the sign mm-hmm. for my dad. For my daddy. But it worked. Kenneth How stuck are they his, hidden? They're just, they were stuck in the headrest. So here's there's the head part and then here's the seat. He Sounds like it's all planned. Sounds like it's a plot. <laughs> Sounds like he planned it. Like he planned it. A lot of people out there have the same <gasps> thought process that you are thinking right uh, now. That's I'm applying to be FBI as well. So. <laughs> so now we are now he's panicking and he goes home and he calls Raylene Raymond Rice Raylene and they're awake. They answer the phone like it didn't even ring all the way, and they s- are looking for Raylene because she hadn't come home. He calls Jill's Jill Jill's parents, Jim's mom's Jill's mom's panicking because she hasn't come home so now he's filling out a missing persons report for all three of them and they do that and the police take all the information and at 9 30 that night is when they get the phone call and they find out that all their kids were dead and they were found at the lake at Spiegelville Park and Richard's just like all I had to do is go down basically one more exit and maybe I would have found them you know so now kind of the investigation is starting. Like we know we had the murder. You heard, saw the murder and people are like, Jill, it must be around Jill. The investigators are like, this is centered around Jill. She got the worst of it. And they also saw that her purse was nowhere to be found. And that money of the check that she cashed was like $256 was missing. They uh-huh. also are at the Pinto and they see Bud Light cans around the car, but they're unable to get, like, lift any fingerprints or anything off the cans. So they're wondering, is this a burglary gone wrong? Like, did somebody rob them and kill them because they got out of hand or something? Um, and now there's tips coming in because it's on the news, it's in the paper. So over 200 people were interviewed, and all these tips came in. And people saw them coming into Caney Park in their orange pinto and saw them out there. Nobody saw them leave because that orange pinto is still there. So they're like, did they leave on a boat? Did somebody take them across to Spiegelville? Did they get in somebody else's car? Nobody saw them leave, and really because their car never left. Mm. After all these tips, there were no leads. And Truman Simons was not the investigator on the case, he was actually just working it in his spare time. Um, it was assigned to like a special McLennan County like task force. And one of the detectives was Ramon Salinas. And um, Truman asked Salinas, he was like, what do we have? What, who's, who's our suspects? And they were like, we don't have any. Our biggest subste- suspect right now is Richard Franks, Kenneth Franks' dad. Yeah. And so Truman was like, okay, well, you know, that's about right. Because they looked into Jill's dad. They looked into Raylene's dad. Because it's usually somebody you know. And so right. you look into family first. Well, plus, he was also very involved in everything. I mean, yeah. he, was, he found the car. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, called the police. And so, but Truman was like, why would he wait till he had two girls with them 
to ki- if he wanted to kill his son, why did he wait till he had two other people with him to kill him? And so that just kind of didn't like were Truman. Were they like raped or anything? Like yeah, they were raped. I'm sorry. They were both of them were raped, but there were no semen found on their bodies. Oh no! Raped and mutilated. Okay, so Truman was like, "No, it's not Richard." Let me, I'm going to pull the files. Yeah. So Truman pulls the files and he has a partner, but it's not really his partner because he don't like working with people too much. (laughs) Him and Detective Bayer, they get the um, files and they're going through every single tip and they're like, they missed something. I know they did. And they did. He finds a tip from a girl who is also at the Methodist home named Lisa Cater. She called she called a tip and she said that there's a guy named Munir Deeb. He was a 23-year-old. He was from Middle Eastern. He was an immigrant and he owned a store called the Rainbow Drive-In. And this store is still there, but it's not a store. It's a laundromat. It's right across from the Methodist home. And the kids frequented there a lot because it's just across the street. They would go, they'd get their cigarettes, they'd get their candy. It's like a um, a little bit bigger than a convenience store, but not a full grocery store. So they called this guy Lucky, and she she gave him Munir's name because Munir hated Kenneth Franks. Kenneth Franks kind of meddled him a little bit. He'd call him like these Middle Eastern, like Habib or something like Mm -hmm. that. And he had a limp, so he'd make fun of his limp. But mostly because Munir had a crush on a girl named Gail Kelly. Mm-hmm. Gail Kelly was Jill and Kenneth's very good friend, and all three of them were together all the time. Well, he Kenneth was always with Gail, and so he didn't like Kenneth because he thought kind of Kenneth was like cock blocking or yeah, something. Yeah. So he hated Kenneth. And everybody knew that he hated Kenneth. And so Simon saw that they didn't follow up on this tip. So he calls Gelly, Kelly, Gail Kelly, and he meets with Gail Kelly. And when he sees her, his eyes are humongous and his jaw drops because she looks identical to Jill Montgomery. What? Yes. Weird twist. And so he just makes a mental note of that. But he says, you look a lot like Jill, the girl who was murdered. And she goes, yeah, I get that a lot. We're real good friends, and everybody thought we were sisters. I get that a lot. So he was like, okay, okay, okay. Well, you know, let me just file that back here. File that back in the good old brain. And he talked to Gail for a little bit, but nothing more really came out of that. Like, basically, Munir hated Kenneth. Kenneth didn't like Munir. Um, But... That night, he got a call at 1 a.m. from Gail, and Gail is screaming, crying, and she says, he did it. Lucky did it. He admitted to killing Kenneth. And Truman woke up. It's 1 a.m., and she says, yeah, we went to the movies, and it was like her and some other coworkers because Gail Kelly is working at this Rainbow Drive-In for Munir at this time. So they all go to the movies, and after the movies, he admitted that he killed Kenneth. Well, and then he, so then she's like, and I think he's going to leave because he has to close down the store because it's getting 
foreclosed on by the bank. So he's going to leave Texas and go back to this country he's from. I forgot what country it was. Saudi Arabia, maybe. I don't know. Um, so now Truman was like, I don't, we need to get him in. Like, we need to find a way to arrest him just in case he has something to do with it. If he leaves the country, we'll never get him. Yeah. So he goes to the people he has to talk to, and they're able to find a reason to arrest him. So they go pick him up, and they bring him in for questioning. But when they see him, they're like, he's little, he's weak, he's got a limp, like he's a little, you know, physically disabled. Like, he couldn't have done this. Or if he did, he had other people help him. Like, he couldn't have done it by himself. And then the way the crime scene was set up, like they were tied, they were bound. It was three of them. One person yeah. couldn't have took out all three uh -uh. of them, and there wasn't a gun involved. It was all a knife. So they knew there was probably multiple people. They Truman was like, Munir has something to do with it, but I don't know what. They gave him a polygraph test, and he passed the polygraph test. So he wasn't the killer, per se. Mm. But... Truman was like, I'm not going to sleep on Munir. Like, mm -hmm. I'm going to do some more investigation. So when he looked into Munir more, he found out that Munir took out a insurance policy on Gail Pe Kelly for $20,000. And he listed himself as the common law husband. What? Yes. See? Remember, I told you, you can take insurance policies out on anybody. anybody. Yes. I was Obviously. so right. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm never right. So he took this policy out on her, but, like, why? What's the reason? Uh, yeah, that's very not, no, that's not normal. It seems weird, and it raised a red flag. Well, when he failed the polygraph test, he was still investigating Munir, but he called Lisa Cater again, the m initial tip. And he says, is there anybody else that you think of that might have didn't like Kenneth or that, you know, frequented the drive-in or might have worked with Munir if Munir did this? And they said, there's a biker guy that goes by the name Chili. <laughs> okay. And he hung around the drive-in a lot. Okay. He was always smoking. He was always drinking. Chili pepper. He was in a little biker gang. And Munir actually admitted to knowing Chili. So Truman dug a little deeper, and he had found out that Chili and Munir were a lot closer than he thought, right? Is Chili a male or a female? He's a male. Or what does he identify as? <laughs> he, he is a male, he and he identifies as a male. Fluid. Okay. His actual name is David Wayne Spence. Oh, yes. Chili is David Wayne Spence. And that name is familiar, right? Mm -hmm. At this time, he was in. So this is about eight weeks after the murder. Chili was in jail. David Wayne Spence was in the McLennan County Jail for aggravated sexual assault with an intent to murder. <gasps> Him and his friend Gilbert Melendez. His name's going to come back up. Held a knife to a teenage boy, cut him, and forced him to perform oral sex on Gilbert. So, David had the knife, cut the boy, and forced this boy to give Gilbert a blowjob. The boy lived. They didn't kill him. They tried to kill him, but he lived and turned him in, and him and Gilbert are now in jail okay. for this assault. Okay. 
So he felt good that David was locked up. Like, you know, this sounds like something David could do. Like, if he could do this and well, he had yeah. another robbery charge, like, yeah. he's not, like, the best, right? So Truman's like, he's kind of good for this. I kind of like him for this murder. Let me Let me find out some more about him. So according to the Texas Monthly article, Spence was the kind of criminal Simons knew well. He was rough. He was poor. You said that earlier. Mm. And he was full of swagger. He dropped out of school. He loved beer. He loved marijuana. And he loved methamphetamines. He married a girl at 16, got her pregnant. They had two boys. And then he was divorced her by the time he was 20. Uh, when he was 21, he robbed a Fort Worth convenience store with a hatchet and he served 15 months in jail. So he's done a lot by age 21, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, Got yeah, out yeah, of yeah. prison and he started the biker lifestyle and joined this biker gang and got a bunch of tattoos and he's just basically unpredictable and violent but now he was in jail and he was desperate and he was lonely and he liked to talk. So Simons, guess what Simons does? What? He quits the, his job at the Waco PD and he gets a job at the McLennan County Jail as a jailer to be near David Wayne Spence every day. What? He was like, he likes to talk. I'm going to get close to him. And see if he talks to me. And that's what he does. <gasps> he took the night shift and he's talking to David every night. Like they're having all night conversations. He starts a conversation and David just goes and goes and goes and goes. And he brings up the Lake Waco murders. And David acts like he's going to help him solve it. Hey, you know what? My girlfriend's still out. I'll tell her to ask around. She hangs around there and knows some of the Methodist home people. I'll see what she knows. So now David is thinking he's working with Truman to solve the case, where Truman's really trying to see if David's good for this murder, yeah. right? So David gets, like, these special privileges. He gets to talk to his girlfriend anytime. She gets to come see him. And meanwhile, he's waiting for David to, like, slip up and say mm -hmm. something. Well, David never really does, but other inmates do. So there's an inmate named Kevin that comes and talks to Truman. And he says that David was in jail bragging to the other inmates about killing the teens at Lake Waco. And he told them a very important detail. That detail is that about the brawl being tied around the leg of Raylene. And this puckered up Truman because this wasn't like public information. Right, yeah. You know, they keep yeah, stuff to the yeah. side. Um, they also said that David was part of a satanic cult and that this he was actually paid to kill the kids and that a guy named Lucky paid him. And Gilbert Melendez to kill the girl that rejected him. But that don't make sense, right? Because the girl that rejected yeah, him but is Gail they Kelly. They got the wrong girl because they look alike. Because they look alike. <gasps> so when David, your listening skills, your listening I, comprehension is so 
I got the maps up, look, making today. sure I know where the parks are. <laughs> well, look at you. Yeah. <clears throat> so he hears this information, and Truman is like, okay, we're getting somewhere. We're getting somewhere. Yeah. So he goes to the DA's office, and the DA's name is Vic Fazell. <gasps> Sounds familiar. Not like the other podcasts that say Vic Fiesel. It's Vic Fazell. <laughs> he's a newly appointed attorney in Waco. He's young. He's like 24. Tw- no, he's 31 years old, district attorney, and good lawyer. And he goes to his office, and he tells the assistant, I have, uh, I ha- I've received information from one of the inmates of David, and he told, told her what happened. And she says, that is great, but that's just hearsay. It's mm. not admissible in court. And so Truman was kind of let down, but he was like, you know what? I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop. Yeah. So Vic Fazell is going to come back in this case. He's going to be a main person in this case. Um, and then other than the jailhouse confessions, there was no other evidence that pointed to David like being there. Or Gilbert Melendez. Like, all it was is, like, not, like, uh, all it is is these inmates talking, right? Mm -hmm. So, then he decides, you know what? It seemed to make sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's good information that only the killer would know. Yeah. Only the killer would know. So, David later states, I mean, sorry, uh, Truman is like, I'm going to tell David that um, I think he did it. So he does. And David later says he was shocked because he thought Truman was his friend. And he thought, you know, basically he was his counselor. (laughs) And he (laughs) thought he was helping Truman solve the case. And when he found out that he was a suspect, he was shocked. David Spence's attorney on the blowjob case, his name was... (laughs) Walter Skip Reeves. <laughs> Blowed up his. And he ends up being David's attorney later on. So Walter Skip Reeves is actually going to come. We're going to do a Q&A with Walter <gasps> after we air these episodes. <gasps> um, so after you're hearing like part one, if you have questions you want us to ask Walter, then I need you to email them in because he's going to come on the podcast and we're going to, it's going to be a Q&A. <laughs> Okay, so Walter tells David, quit fucking talking to the popos. <laughs> shut, up, shut up, shut, shut up, up, shut up, shut up. Like, if he likes you for this case, you need to stop talking to him. But David, like, thinks he's his friend. And he's in jail for 90 years for this blowjob case. So he's, like, depressed. He's, like, fighting with his girlfriend because his girlfriend's out. You know, got, doing what, what do you people? have to lose? I mean, at this point, just, yeah. I mean, why would you not admit? I don't know. Yeah. If you didn't, why haven't you already admitted? So he pled not guilty and he got 90 years. Gilbert Melendez pled guilty and he only got seven years. So they're both in jail. And okay. so David's still not giving Truman kind of what he wants. So Truman's like, let me talk to Melendez. Mm. He asked Melendez about the murders and, and Gilbert was like, I didn't have he didn't have anything to do with it but after talking and talking and talking he finally agreed 
I mean, finally, he finally confessed to being out there with David. And he said that he would testify his story against David. So Truman felt that he was, Gilbert was out there, that they were good for this. But some of the other officers were like, this is a little sus. Well, it's because whenever you do the whole questioning for like hours and I mean, it was yeah. hours and hours and hours and hours. Yeah. People literally go crazy and they just start saying they just things say, that they don't yeah. even know what they're saying. So whenever it gets to that extreme, it's a little hard to. Yeah, and you know. none of these questions, like these, is, this is just him at work, like just talking and questioning. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like in an interview room, it's not recorded, it's not anything like that. So Truman did have his own way of like solving his cases. He always has. Um, and he was accused of being like not a printing player, breaking the rules, going his own way about it. But Truman literally didn't give a shit. Like he yeah. wanted to solve the case. And he was going to do it his way because you these over here, the task force is doing it the right way. And they have gotten nowhere. And Truman is like run circles around. Okay, Truman. Yeah. So he wanted to solve the murder. So Gilbert had a recorded confession. And he said that on July 14th, 1982, David and him, he and David were riding around smoking weed in David's station wagon. Pimp. Station wagon. (laughs) You and him drove the same car. They were at Caney Park and they saw two pretty young girls and a guy. And so they invited them to get in the car with them and smoke some weed, which is what they did back then. Mm -hmm. But David lost his temper and started to rape and stabbed Jill. And then he raped and stabbed Raylene. And then Kenneth was killed last. And then they drove across to the Twin Bridges and they dumped the bodies and then they went home. This was David's like confession, recorded confession, right? Mm. So the officers on the task force, Bear and Salinas, they watched it, but they had some red flags. Oh. First, they were like, David didn't buy his station wagon until two weeks after the murder. So he said that they were in a station wagon, but he they he didn't even have it at the time of the murder. And that'll come back later. I think it, they end up being in the Melinda's truck, and he didn't want to um, incriminate his own self because the other red flag is... In this version, he eliminated eliminated himself from doing anything wrong. He said David raped her, killed her, raped her, killed her, and then killed Kenneth. Yeah. But what's Kenneth? Are you just watching? Are you and Kenneth just like watching this? Did Kenneth not fight? Did Kenneth not? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that was a discrepancy. I do think there had to have been two people there at least. Yes. To to do three people. Three people. Yeah. And then the timeline of when they got to Caney Park didn't match up. So he said a certain time, but the kids weren't, like, there at that time or something. Um, And then so they chalked it up to, like, Gilbert just being, like, doing drugs his whole life, being alcoholic his whole life, that his brain was just couldn't remember the details good. So he got indicted for the murders, too. So he... 
Another month goes by and there's still no information and no new leads. And now it's April 1983. So there it's about to be a year. Right. And the people in Waco, they're pissed. They're asking. People are calling like they these are the most brutal murders that have happened in Waco till this time. Right. And they're not solved. And so and they have an alleged, you know, like confession, but nothing to tie them to the case. So they can't arrest them for a confession because there's nothing there that says they were there. Yeah, you know like what I no mean? No physical evidence. Yeah. No physical evidence. But here comes Ned. Ned is a odontologist. Did you just make that up? <laughs> it is not a BHH made up word. <laughs> is it's that your nose wiper? <laughs> <laughs> I'm itching my nose off the back of it is so itchy. Okay, so Ned says that he looked over these autopsy photos and he saw bite marks on Jill and Raylene's body. And he said, if we got a mold of David's teeth, I would be able to tell you if those bite marks came from David Wayne Spence. Yeah. So Truman is like, hell yeah. And, you know, he's good friends with David. So David lets them get these molds, even though Walter Skip Reeves says, don't do it. Right. So they get this mold, these molds. And the odontologist, I guess it's a autopsist. <laughs> the odontologist, the teeth doctor. Oh. <laughs> it's actually a different person, the odontologist. So this is called forensic forensic odontology. Okay. And so back then it was kind of new and it was a big thing and it was admissible in court. This is how they caught Ted Bundy, you know? Yeah. So it was kind of happening. Forensic it's dentistry. Dentistry. And now a word from our sponsors. So this guy said that David's teeth were a match to the bite marks on Jill and Raylene. So there is Truman's like slam dunk. Yeah. Right? He needed physical evidence. He now has physical evidence. Got the bite marks. And then now here's a guy named Tony Melendez, and he's Gilbert's brother. So when you hear about these stories, you hear. David Wayne Spence and the Melendez brothers. He's the other brother. Oh, we got more Melendez brothers? Yes. Oh, no. So he was wanted in Corpus Christi for robbery and rape. He was questioned right after the Lake Waco murders, but he, his alibi was he was doing a paint job in Bryan College Station, and he'd stay there all week. Like, he worked in construction. But... There were inmates reporting that he said that he was actually at the lake at the time of the murders. So Truman really loves these jailhouse informants. And yeah. so he's like, I think Tony is part of this, right? So he gave Tony a polygraph test about his whereabouts, and he failed it. So now Tony is a new suspect, so we have four and it's October of 1983, and Vic Fazell has to go on the news every once in a while and just kind of tell them where mm -hmm. they're at in the case. And he says, we are trying to put a puzzle together, but someone is hiding some of the pieces. But one month later, they 
think they've put all the pieces together and they have the story. Yeah. They think they like know it. what happened. They said that Munir Deeb, Lucky, wanted Gail Kelly dead for denying him and disrespecting him. And in his country, that's a reason for death, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he was losing his store and he wanted that insurance money, that $20,000. So he so random paid David to do the murders. Yeah. He, and so David recruited two of his gang members and friends, Gilbert and Tony Melendez, and they did it, but they mis- <coughs> mistook Jill for Gail and killed the wrong person. And Raylene and Kenneth were just like collateral damage in the wrong place at the wrong time. So people were like, I see it. It makes sense. That's the story. Arrest him, right? Yeah. So it's basically a murder for hire with a case of mistaken identity. Right? Mm -hmm. Vic Fazell announced this and... His quote that day was, we started with nothing and we have found pieces literally in the dark and fit them together. All of them were arrested on three counts of capital murder. And here comes the trial. It is. It was the most anticipated trial in Waco history. Do you know that any you can go to any trial? Like you can just walk into the courtroom and say, "I want to attend this trial." No. And you can go and sit in there. Yeah, it's all like public. not federal trials. I don't know. That would be Jillian Maxwell, and I would not. Probably not like high profile ones like that. But if we were alive, we could have just said, "Oh, I want to go to this trial." So you could I go like said, Kyle I Rittenhouse s- trial or. Some of them could be if they're, like, big, high profiles. But, like, I wanted to go to the Davey Daza that he's the one in Waco that, like, chopped his wife's head off and put it in the freezer in Belmede a couple years ago. And I was like, oh, I'm going to that trial. Because they said he, like, did some weird drug or whatever. It made him do it, but it never went to trial. But I could have just walked in. He pled out, yeah. I could have just walked in and, like, sat there and heard the whole thing. What? Yeah. That's what I really want to do with my summers when I'm off. I kind of want there to be another murder in Waco, like crazy murder, so I can just <laughs> watch the trial. trial. Yeah. But I don't. You don't want nobody to die, but you want yeah. to watch the trial. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Okay. So people are waiting on this trial, right? Um, and each man would stay in trial for the murder of Jill Montgomery first because they got to do all of them. A different trial. Yeah, separate. And so David Spence was first. And so I'll tell you more about that one because he's like the main one. His trial lawyers are Russ Hunt and Hayes Fuller. Russ Hunt, y'all, write down your questions because we're doing a Q&A with Russ Hunt, who is David Wayne Spence's trial lawyer. And um, he's going to come on after we release these two episodes. We'll do a Q&A with him. Q&A for Russ Hunt and for Walter Reeves. And I'm working on hearing back from uh, David Wayne Spence. I wish. Vic Fazell. Yeah. Because now you and then so you hear both sides. Right. You hear from both (gasps) parties. Oh, I'm so excited. Mouthwatering. Oh, my God. Okay. So Russ Hunt and Hayes Fuller were like, this is not a fair trial. Um, 
they were convinced that Truman Simon's methods of investigation were unorthodox. He broke too many rules and that jail, the jailhouse confessions were sus. Like, how do you know they weren't coerced? Coerced. And that the forensic odontology was not actual science. So he was. they were trying to get the case, like, thrown out, right? But Judge Allen at the time was like, hell no. We're going to go to trial for this. Yeah. So instead, they wrote a 33-page letter to the FBI and the U.S. attorney basically stating McClendon County is about to execute an innocent man and he is not going to get a fair trial who wrote this the attorneys russ hunt and <gasps> hayes fuller spence's attorneys okay and okay so if i don't know that that really went anywhere because they went to trial right mm -hmm. and shit hit the fan when tony melendez is now deciding to confess to his involvement in the killings so it wasn't just david and gilbert it's David and Gilbert and Tony. Yeah. So three against three. Oh, my gosh. Um, and so Spence's attorneys are like, oh, hell no. Truman had been on him, been visited him, been talking <gasps> to him, and finally got him to broke down and confess. Mm -hmm. So here's the trial. Vic Fazell, like, is like um, Matthew McConaughey and um, – is it a time to kill in the movie, a time to kill. And he brings them up there and he's exposing all of them. Like David Wayne, well, it's David Wayne Spence, his past crime. So he's bringing up how, cause there's like a character portion of it. Right. What a horrible yes. person he was. Yes. Yes. What yes. he's on trial for now. Yes. Like, you know, so now you are, they already got a bad taste in their mouth for David Wayne Spence. Right. Which, you know, it's deserving. I, mean, I, I, feel, like I'm a, I feel like I'm on the jury right now listening yeah. to this trial. And I agree. Yeah. And um, he had 39 witnesses come and testify with stories about David. Against him. Against David. Yeah. And about David, like either his character or either what David had told him or what they heard or saw. It's a lot of witnesses. With the murders. I know it's a lot to keep up with, and I've been in that jury thing. Like, you take notes. you got to take notes. You've been on a jury jury? I was a jury foreman. What does that mean? I was the, the right head the <gasps> juror. How did that you? That, like, did Did the, you die that day? <laughs> I, I was like, if I die today, I'm fine. <laughs> what? When was this? This was, like, five or six. Five years ago, six years How ago. How do you get to be the four? Sorry, I have to. I know. was just picked. No, so uh, is it, it was your black? Was there any other black people in there? The black well, there was a Mexican one. There was a Mexican. It, it was it was two Mexican victims. Like she was Mexican. They were Mexican, and I was an educator then. So sometimes that <gasps> knocks you right out. But this wasn't like a child case. And I was just picked to be on the jury, right? Well, they come in and they were like, who wants to volunteer to be a foreman? And nobody wanted it. And guess who, of course, <laughs> did. So you just volunteer to be a foreman. And they were like, are y'all okay with Miss Pullen being foreman? They were like, yes, please. And I was like, <laughs> melting like, inside. Did you pee your pants? I bet I you did. did. It was the the did. thing was a week long. The and trial? The trial was a week long. And it, wa it wasn't even a murder. It was a, um, she, I told you this, I feel like they were at a Zumba class 
and she whooped her sister-in-law's ass with some weights, three pound weights, <laughs> and put the child in danger because her child was in the car with her. And so we convicted her and we sent her ass back to Mexico because she, she, she was a big ass bully. She was a bully. She whooped everybody's ass. Um, oh, but no. it was what did you have to best. do as the foreman? Um, you read you the verdict. Ke- yes, or you pass the verdict. Like, like we your speak honor, on behalf. Your Honor, we have the jury has reached a verdict. Yes, and, and so they says, say foreman say April. You? Foreman April Pullen, have do you like have y'all all agreed to a verdict? Yes. So I stand up and I pass our verdict to the bailiff, and the bailiff gave it to Judge Strothers, and they read it. You just basically are. You, I didn't have you to just, speak. You, you just stand up and sit down. Uh huh. Nobody and wanted listen, to do that. I st- no, I didn't, nobody else no to because stand I have to down. be the one to police them in there, like keep us on track, like we need to stay on track. Like how do we come to agreement? Like you're the one that's like kind of policing. You have ignorant people. You never do a crime because people are fuck like dumb. They're dumb. And I left there and I was like, I do not want a jury of my peers deciding <gasps> on my behalf. What do they do? They just heard like what? How many foremen? There's ten of us. Ten of us heard the same thing, but there were two dumbasses that heard total opposite, and they said the girl was innocent, and that the one that she beat up provoked her. But they were bringing up scenarios that wasn't evident, so you can't bring up scenarios. So we almost deadlocked. <gasps> and, uh. like, it would have been a hung, and I was like, hell no. Uh-uh. We are going to do it. So fast forward, three years later, a new lawyer comes to my 5 a.m. boot camp, and it's the lawyer on that case. And what? I was like, oh, my God, I know you, but I'm going to tell you how I know you. Just the, go do a lap. De- go defense, run your lap. The defense or the prosecutor? The like, prosecutor. And I was already a big fan. I was like, he is so good. He needs to be on court you TV. You saw him. You probably I saw him three times before, and I when wanted he walked to, up to your camp. Yeah, I saw him three times before, and I wanted to approach him and like be fangirl, but I was like, no, he's gonna think I'm weird, and then I'll never be picked on the well, jury because I, I like it too much. I bet he was like, were you the foreman of this jury? <laughs> Uh, so anyways he was my camper for years he's like the best and he's running for da this year so we're gonna bring him Who on the podcast he? robbie robertson <gasps> robbie robertson what a great name yeah. and he actually lives by you but he would drive all the way to Is lacey lake you to come to my single? camp he i don't know robbie are you single we got, we're gonna bring her here we're gonna bring him here her? and we're gonna talk Is it to her, her? it's a him it's a him <laughs> We're going to bring him. I already told him in Texan we're coming. He actually works for Vic Fazell. I already love Robbie. And I just turned the story right back around to Vic Fazell. Great there job. There you go. Good okay. job. He works for Vic Fazell. So here we go. Um, I don't even know where I was. Jury? Trial? What were we talking about? I don't know, but that I think that was a great story. <laughs> don't cut it out. No, I'm not. This was... Okay, so... They had all the people come up there and talk about, you know, like the inmates confess. But that's still like circumstantial until the odontologist got up there and they testified that David Wayne Spence was the only individual to a reasonable medical and dental certainty who could have bitten, is that the word? The women. Mm -hmm. He used 
And so he had these electronically like enhanced photos to show the bite marks mm-hmm. and then like the molds. And that was the slam dunk. Like that was the gun smoking gun. Oh, now it's Hunt and Fuller's turn. So now it's David's attorney's turn. And they testified like there's no physical evidence, but there's because there's not like we're looking at it in this time to tie David to any of them to the crime. Um, except and for he, the fact that your teeth are in their body. So yeah. Your whatever. And he proved or they tried to prove that David actually knew Gail Kelly and Jill Montgomery and met them on multiple occasions and that he would have known the difference in them. Plus, one of them had big boobs and one of them was flat chested. And they were like, he's a pervert. <laughs> he would have known, like, to kill the big boobed one or to kill the flat chested one, right? And so they were trying to say that that um, mistaken identity, murder for hire mistaken identity, was not logical. And so what if you're on drugs? Yeah. True, 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 true. And they also told the jury that that policy that Deeb had on Gail Kelly was a very common type of policy that employers have on their employees in case there's an accident while they're at work. There's a policy covering, like, in case they sue or something like that. But my thing is, like, do they normally list themselves as common law spouse? That is weird. No. So... They also tried to introduce two new suspects in the killings, too. One guy's name was James Bishop. He's a Waco native who left right after the murders and moved to California but was arrested for rape and attempted murder of two high school girls on the beach. So same story, not the lake, but the beach. And then they tried to introduce a guy named Ronnie Britton, is a man who was seen leaving Lake Waco with bloody clothes after a night of fishing at the lake. But Judge Allen was Those like... Those are so random. They just like picked two random people and decided that they would say, maybe these people did it. And so that's what Judge Allen said. And he was like, that's irre- irrelevant to David Wayne Spence. You cannot use that information. So that information was not allowed to be used. So I'm going to have to talk to Russ about this. <laughs> now closing statements. DA Vic Fazell reminded the jury that David was a piece of shit mm-hmm. and how reminded them how hurt the family was, had to be to endure this pain of their kids dying, right? And then he reminded them of the torture that the teenagers endured. And then he said this. It's been two years since these murders, and there are a lot of people waiting on you to decide what to do. So he put it, like, back in the jury's, like, it's your turn. Like, these kids, these people need justice, and now it's your time to give justice or something, right? Get it. It only took two hours. Like, this is a never good. That's never good. It took us hours for freaking assault, felony assault with a three-pound dumbbell, right? Hey, that three-pound three dumbbell, <laughs> I'll get you. A Zumba, three-pound dumbbell. Okay, so two hours after deliberation. I mean, that's very quick. For a, There's so many people, it seems like, involved, and there's so many things, but okay. They just, they obviously 
Vic Fazell did his job. David was convicted on the murder of Joe Montgomery, and three days later, he was given the death penalty. In that courtroom, Juanita White, which is David Spence's mother, bursted into tears. Jill's mother... Probably was released from the courtroom, because you can't do that. Um, Jill's Montgomery's mother was relieved and stated that she was so grateful for Truman Simmons. Simons. I go back and forth. I always get f- mixed up, so I'm sorry if I'm messing up his name, and Vic Fazell. So, one week later, after this was done, Truman is like, he gets one of his gut feelings. This is like, I'm summing this up, y'all, but I have to tell you, we are not even halfway done. Mm -mm. This is going to be a two-parter. So, let me get to this part right here. So... One week after David Wayne Spence's trial, Truman goes and grabs an investigator from the DA's office, and he's like, I want to go back to where Tony Melendez said the crime scene was, right, where Mm -hmm. they actually killed them because they didn't think that they killed them in Spiegelville. Right. They thought that the bodies were just dumped there, that they probably killed them at Caney Park or elsewhere and dumped the bodies there because there was no signs of struggle. There was, like, not blood pattern no, there like drag marks or any yeah. yeah so and where was the weapon like did they have i mean they never found they yeah never found the weapon like so, so he yeah. went to caney park where tony says they killed jill um and about 25 miles from where they killed him he found a gold bracelet in the dirt and he picked it up and he was like could this be jill's so he took it to Jill's mom, and Jill says she did have a bracelet like that. She took it to Jill. He took it to Jill's aunt, and aunt also said Jill had a bracelet like that. But we, you never really like. Is it a coincidence? Is it you is know it what I mean? Changed every bracelet that everybody has. That everybody has. Like that, like. But they got to use it in the evidence on then one of the other cases. So now what? it's Gilbert Melendez's turn, and he gets. He saw that David got death, and now he's, like, shaking in his pants. And so he's like, I want to make a deal. I want to make a deal. He makes a deal to just get life, two life sentences, and he's going to testify against Munir Deeb. So that's whose trial. He wrote a 16-page confession letter. And so Munir's trial came, and it was 12 days long. There were 40 witnesses testifying on him and just about how much – he hated, you know, like Kenneth, and there was forty witnesses that testified. Which one's Munir? Munir is the um, the Middle Eastern store owner, Lucky. Lucky, okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, but the most important person was Gilbert Melendez's testimony, and he testified that he and that Munir paid them five thousand dollars to kill Gail Kelly. So Munir also got the death penalty. So he gone. David's gone. He Gilbert made a deal for life, right? Now they're trying for Kenneth Franks's trial. David gets another um, life sentence because now Tony Melendez is testifying against David. And he says the same story that Gilbert does. And so that's the ace in the hole for this trial. 
and um, he gets another death penalty. And he describes that night as beer, weed, and bloodshed. Oh, that should podcast. have been the name of our podcast. <laughs> 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 um, okay, so, Tony Melinda's got life. <clears throat> so, there's all four of them, right? And so, so everything's over. Lucky Muneeb is the one who apparently, allegedly, or no, not allegedly, because it was a thing. Anyways, hired all three of these people he hired to go do it. David and David he hired recruited David. David recruited Gilbert and Tony. Yeah. Yeah. That's the Gilbert and Tony the then turned on David. Yes. Because they saw that David's getting the needle. They saw he got and they want to live. Live in jail forever? Yeah. I would much rather get the needle. Let me get go ahead and baptize me real quick and let me get the needle yeah. and like I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to murder anybody. I don't plan on it. No, so. no, not at all. Unless you can have a TV in prison. Oh, you know house. they get everything. Well, the ones who are like important. Enough. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so. I mean, I've been watching prison, whatever, stories on whatever, Lifetime. I don't watch like half an episode. Let me act like I've been watching it. <laughs> And they apparently get all kinds of stuff. I bet. I mean, on Orange is the New Black, they get everything. They even got flat irons and a beautician. Oh, hell. <laughs> I'm probably looking better if I go to jail. <laughs> okay, so the trial's over, and, like, the people of Waco, like, they f- f- they, they f- feel good about it, yeah. right? Truman and Vic, they are, like, hailed all over Central Texas. And this was great timing because Vic's name was just drug in the mud the spring before for Henry Lee Lucas. Henry, I was going to say. That's going to be a later story, and we're definitely going to ask Vic about that when he comes on. So um, Henry Lee Lucas is a serial killer who's really not, but he people thought he was for a long time, and he confessed to, like, hundred and six murder whatever and people were like closing their cases on it like oh yep case closed he said he did it oh case closed like all these closed cases but he really didn't he would be in florida he was at floor in florida at the time that he confessed to a murder in texas or something like that like it just didn't line up and vic saw it and he saw that henry just liked the attention of the cops coming to bring him shakes and hamburgers and to get him to talk but he called out the Texas Rangers for pinning all these murders. Mm-hmm. And so that starts a whole nother Then war. they try, they like filed a suit against Vic yes. and took him to whatever trial or whatever. Yes. And then it was this whole big thing. It was a whole big thing. And that's what's going to, a lot of that's going to be and covered in part two. And he was married and then Bernadette and she started that Facebook page. And <laughs> she now look crazy. She's kind of She actually cuckoo. teams up with Vic with um now she hates all the David Wayne ha- Spence's lawyer team after they get a divorce and oh. she's trying to get David Wayne Spence off. Yeah, it gets it gets a little messy. That's part two, but right now they're still being real hailed. And so Simon's Truman gets like he wins the Texas Peace Officer Award and he became one of the most well respected officers. And three years after Jill's death, her grave still had no headstone. And it's not because, like, they didn't have money for it. Jill's father actually made headstones. He was the maker in Waxahachie. 
but he couldn't bring himself to make his daughter's headstone. Oh. So Carlton Stowers, the author of Careless Whispers and Truman <gasps> Simons, got together. And they had a headstone made and installed for Jill. It was decorated with a picture of Jill that the mom picked. It had her a poem, and it was titled Forever 17, because she was 17 when she was killed. Oh, no. And Truman kept his promise, and he felt very good about his promise that he kept. Um, and he actually just passed away this past fall of 2021. I think it was cardiac arrest. Dang it, I asked. Oh, he had a heart attack? Yes. Um, and he was still just working with... <sighs> He was still working with Vic Fazell, even like now. So, oh. what two of my campers worked for them at the law offices? Myra and Rob. Shout out! Shout out! Okay. Um, he died of a heart attack. He died of a heart attack in just now. Um, but I do have to say that when we cover this case for my book club, he came in and he signed our books and he took a picture with us. But we did a full Q&A on him. And he still will tell you till the day that he dies that he believed, like. He died. I know, till the day that he oh, died. Oh, oh. But, like, he is 100% behind David Wayne Spence being the killer, Gilbert Melendez, and Tony Melendez being the killer. Because what you're going to find out in part two next week, you're going to hear how... This whole case and this whole investigation was challenged by Waco PD, and there was shit hit the fan in part two. That's all I'm going to say. Shit hit the fans, and then what I want to know is after you hear part two, Caroline, do you still think what you're thinking now? Because I've read this book three times. Oh, that's so much in my life, like I read it like Don't right care. after high school, like about still a lot four it's years so, ago. I'm proud of you. I'm so proud. <laughs> and this is the first time I kind of had a reasonable doubt about everything. So <gasps> I know, I know, I know, I know. So y'all, thank y'all for sticking with us for that was a long episode, but I wanted to get the whole case done and wrap that up in a pretty bow oh, because it. next week we're gonna blow that mofo up. Oh. Go Google David Wayne Spence because... No, don't. Oh. Don't scoop it. Don't okay. scoop it. Don't scoop it. Don't Google anything. I just looked at his Turn, picture. I'm turning off everybody's Wi-Fi. I didn't know what he looked like. <laughs> I just pictured not what this guy looks like. That's my brother was... Um, who my brother was named after? Right here. Well, Remember I told you my dad surprised. just goes spend the night at his house. No, I'm playing. They get so mad at me. Okay, y'all. Tell Caroline, what do they not need to not forget to do? Stay aware. Okay. And stay, stay alive. alive. And always be down to find the murderer. Yeah, we will see y'all in a minute. Don't forget to rate, review, and, and subscribe. subscribe if you want to help us out. If yeah, you want otherwise, us to keep coming. Don't talk to us. Okay. Bye, Bye. y'all. Bye. How long was that? has been a Rogue Media Podcast.